to National Vocation Fashion Week. Today we are joined by Sister Mary Elizabeth, who is a part of the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. Actually, Sister, don't know where you're based out of. Where are y'all based out of? So our community is based out of the Diocese of Corpus Christi, Texas, and that is also where I'm stationed, although we're a missionary community, so um, we have uh, convents and missions all over the place. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So I actually want to start with a little anecdote since this is our first episode of National Vocation Week, National Vocation Fashion Week, I should say. <laughs> Back in college, Sister Miriam, who is also a Salt sister, um, came to UL campus where I went, the Our Lady of Wisdom, the Raging Cajun Catholics. Someone asked her, like, why are your habits gray? Um, this must have been 10 years ago, sister, like 2013, maybe a little mm -hmm. earlier than that even. And something she probably said a lot of things, but the only thing that I remember vividly was that she said, y'all's founder said that gray makes every other color beautiful. So it was really an act of humility to wear gray and to beautify everything around you. Mm -hmm. And it just stuck with me. It was so very profound. I had never thought about um, habit colors and, you know, why mm -hmm. they might be a certain color, but it did start me on this little journey of, of asking sisters a little bit more about their habit, because I think in that moment, um, it taught me that there's some deeper reality there mm -hmm. um, that I just probably don't know about. And I just need to ask. Fast forward to last year at the Given Institute, we were talking backstage before one of the presentations and you and Sister Marie, right? Or Diane? Diane Marie. Mm -hmm. Yep. You and Sister Diane Marie were chatting about your habits. I think your community was going through some changes. Um, mm -hmm. And so the two of you were talking about that. And I believe one of you mentioned maybe even a material or something, but mm -hmm. one of you was excited for the other one <laughs> in a way that it felt very much like, and this is a conversation I've had many times. Wow. Mm -hmm. I like your dress. And the other woman says, thanks. It has pockets. And it was just this like, like little moment of joy for mm -hmm. one another for some reason. And it felt like the, you know, Catholic religious sister version of that. <laughs> and it was just kind of a sweet moment to witness, but Really, those two instances together, I feel like this project, this National Vocations Fashion Week, I, I have to like give it to the Salt Sisters because um, <laughs> I feel like it was in many ways inspired by those two conversations. So I'm excited to talk about and, and hear from you, um, like why uh, religious wear their what, what they're wearing. I know mm -hmm. you're um, actually a missionary community, as you said, or a society of apostolic life. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a little slight difference for that form of consecrated life. Yeah, since this is the first episode, would you mind diving into like habits 101? Why do you wear what you wear? Um, just generally speaking for in, in like the lens of all communities, whatever you want to say there. Sure. Yeah. And I think your story or your stories, both of those um, do kind of point to the reality that um, there are common things, you know, amongst just like consecrated who wear the habit, like there's reasons for a lot of things that are common. Um, but then also, of course, there are, you know, specific things. Um, I remember getting asked once, like, when are you going to get your black habit? Like, when are you going to graduate? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, just having both of those realities. Yeah. Why do they look different? And why do specific communities have um, specific things about their habits. So 
the habit um, does have a long history throughout the church. It's been a part of consecrated life really from the earliest days. St. Justin the Martyr actually references seeing someone wearing a habit, he says, um, in the second century. And so it goes back all the way to kind of this desire as religious life was was forming. You know, in the early days, you had, had the martyrs. Um, and then it said that when martyrdom was no, no longer as much of a possibility, then that's when consecrated life rose up and, and this sort of like total oblation in poverty, chastity, and, and obedience. And with that, you had those that, um, that wore um, uh, some form of dress to be a sign, um, but also just a reality of simplicity, austerity, poverty. And then it also became um, something that was a sign uh, eventually when you know, monastic life began to form and communities began to form, that it was also a sign of unity within a particular community. Mm. If, if you're just going to say it simply, the religious habit is an outward sign of uh, the consecrated person's very consecration to God, that there is a reality that is happening here, uh, sort of like an interior or a mystical or a theological, you know, um, reality that's taking place that um, just like the sacraments, just like the incarnation uh, is expressed externally and is and is able to be visible. And so it is a reminder to others, like even there's a document called the essential elements of religious life uh, that goes through these nine things that have to be there in order for it to be called religious life. And one of them is that it's a public witness um, mm -hmm. that you no longer belong, just, you know, you're no longer um, in a sense, like a, an individual Christian, but you belong to the church um, in a particular way and you're a public witness. And then also, of course, it's a reminder, I, I think really, you know, in some ways, first of all, to myself, that as I dress, as I put this on every day, that I am set apart for God, that, that my identity is as a beloved daughter, um, is as uh, a spouse of Christ and a temple of the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of in in a very sort of general way, the reason for the habit and a little bit of the history. It's interesting because uh, the church actually talks about habits, obviously, you know, and so mm -hmm. um, there's a document from Vatican II um, called Perfecte Caritatis or Perfect Charity that's about consecrated life. And it says that the religious habit, an outward mark of consecration to God should be simple and modest, poor, and at the same time becoming. I like adjectives. I was an English major. And so I like those adjectives of simple, modest, poor, becoming. It gives us direction of, of the church's mind and heart upon, um, yeah, what the, what the habit should be. Um, and I know we'll talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the, the renewal of the habit and, and different things that we've gone through in our community. Um, and so we looked to those, those uh, descriptions as, you know, guideposts for us as we were, as we were going about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it says, in addition, it must meet the requirements of health and be suited to the circumstances of time and place and to the needs of the ministry involved. And so that, you know, it's also at the service of the apostolate at the same time. We can also look at the particular, I guess, like elements or parts of a religious habit. And those show us um, in a way like how it is a sign, like an outward mm -hmm. sign of consecration, especially with religious women. Uh, typically what you will, what you will find is, um, sort of like these various parts. Now you're not going to find them probably in all communities, but I'll just go through them and you can kind of um, match it against your experience. So like, oh, I've seen that or, oh, I haven't seen that. And that's been discerned and that's part of it. So first of all, the veil, um, 
is a sign of a spousal with Christ and also of humble obedience. We we have prayers that we pray when we um, dress in the morning. We always say, you know, like, uh, let this be a sign of my espousal to you and that I belong entirely and only to you. You know, we look back even to the Old Testament, things that were set apart for um, a specific purpose, things that were consecrated to God were veiled, right? So you have the Holy of Holies that was only allowed to be entered uh, once a year by the high priest. And and then even in the new covenant, oftentimes you'll see the chalice is veiled or the tabernacle is veiled um, as a sign that, you know, like sometimes I'll say with the kids of like, you know, you wouldn't put anything but the precious blood uh, in the the sacred chalice, right? And so um, it reminds us that, okay, like this, this has been set apart for a, for a particular reason or purpose. Oftentimes with kids too, we'll, we'll sort of talk about like, who else do you see wearing a veil? And, you know, they'll talk about first solo communions and also brides. And um, one of our priests says, you know, you should be so joyful that you're um, Jesus' spouse, that you never want to take your, your wedding clothes off. Um, and Aww. so it really is uh, a sign of that. It's also why you sometimes will see, um, you know, women veiled uh, for the First Holy Communion or or in Mass um, as kind of like entering into the mystery. And then there's other part, um, and it's so funny because sometimes people are like, am I saying the right words? And I'm like, you know, sometimes I don't even know what the right <laughs> words are. I have to look it up. Um, but but oftentimes there's, there's some form of like dress, right? So it can be considered like a tunic or sometimes people will use it interchangeably with like, that's the habit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really uh, a sign of modesty, uh, poverty, simplicity, asceticism, even, you know, I know mm-hmm. when I'm wearing my wool habit in the summer, that is an offering that I can make is practical and it serves like these practical purposes. Um, but also it communicates something to, to those who, who see the sister. Not everyone has a scapular, but the scapular is kind of like called that because of these shoulder blades that, you know, it mm-hmm. hangs from. And a lot of people now have like small scapulars that they wear, like the brown scapular or, you know, the green scapular, these different um, scapulars um, that are sort of came from the religious scapulars. They were, you know, a lot of times the brown one is the one that people know that it came from the Carmelites scapular, mm-hmm. like a little piece of it to show um, incorporation in that way. Um, but even the rule of St. Benedict uh, talks about the scapular. So the Benedictine monks wear it. Um, and it was originally uh, the scapular because of works is kind of the way that it was described, especially farm work, because they did a lot of mm. manual labor. Um, and then later that kind of like developed into this symbol of like the yoke of Christ or even the shield of Christ. Uh, Ooh, so wow. it's worn for that. Then you might have like a crucifix, um, obviously uh, a symbol of the, the Paschal mystery of the passion death and resurrection of Jesus, which I find so often like, um, is this beautiful, the whole, the whole habit is a sacramental, right? So it's actually yeah. blessed. So whenever, if let's say your veil is really, really worn out and you, you need a new one, um, you, you treat it the same way that you treat any blessed objects where it's oh, you know wow. buried or, or burned most likely the crucifix I find so often is, um, just like so powerful, um, uh, when encountering others, you know, as a sign of, of Jesus's redemptive love. Um, oftentimes you'll see sisters with a rosary. It's sort of like our ladies love. So a lot of times you'll see them worn kind of like hanging down on the outside, but we wear it mm-hmm. in our pocket, which I'll uh, explain a little bit of why that is uh, later. Oftentimes with uh, perpetual vows, you'll receive a ring. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's a sign of espousal as well. Um, other things that we don't have, but um, many communities do would be like uh, a cord with knots. I want to say that started with the Franciscans. I could be wrong there. Um, but those they'll have three knots um, for poverty, chastity, obedience, or a community might have four if they've taken a, a fourth vow of some kind. Even the belt, which I'm sure serves a very practical purpose, can sometimes be seen as sort of being like um, 
yoked to Christ or linked to him mm. or um, a sign of like, you know, one of the vows, chastity or obedience. A lot of monastic communities or cloister communities will have like a coif or a wimple. So, you know, like I know when um, kids at our school will dress up for All Saints Day, they'll often take the t-shirt and kind of like put it around <laughs> so you can only see their little face. That will be um, linked with the veil as far as like modesty and consecration. And then some communities even have a cape, which I think is so cool that they'll wear typically for mass or for solemn uh, occasions, professions, things like that. And so, yeah, there's just, there's, and I'm sure that there are many more things. We have a miraculous medal that we wear interiorly. Uh, we have a fivefold scapular. All of that is considered part of the habit. So really when you say the word habit, it kind of encompasses the whole thing. Yeah. And there's yeah. a lot of different ones. And I it, like this week, we're going to be highlighting a lot of different like looks and styles and types of communities too. So it's, mm -hmm. it's really cool to give kind of this foundation of like what elements um, might be included for future um, speakers. So thank you for that great right. rundown. It was, it was really <laughs> awesome. I was, I was like, oh yeah, I've, I've seen that. No, I haven't. Right. Heard about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it's really fascinating to, to see, like, even whenever you just see at a place like Given, for instance, when there's so many religious women there and you're just seeing all these different elements like you, I know now um, after years of knowing religious women that there's there's some meaning there. And it's just mm -hmm. so beautiful that they kind of show all these different like colors of the sacred mm -hmm. heart of Jesus. Like they just there's a different, you know, charism that's going to be carried mm -hmm. out by those um, by those religious, by those consecrated persons. I kind of always had this like image of um like territory but not in a territorial way but yes, like yeah yeah mm -hmm. at each religious community and each group of consecrated people they kind of have this like little slice of the kingdom um mm -hmm. that they're they're responsible for charisms really highlight um a need in the church for instance mm -hmm. so the salt sisters as we talked about earlier is a society of apostolic life is a missionary community um so i know there's a lot of elements that you spoke about um in the in the habits 101 section <laughs> section but what elements of the ones that you were mentioning and maybe even other ones that you didn't mention are mm -hmm. particular to the salt sisters i think one of them you touched upon with the your story of uh, sister miriam and so uh the story that that was given to us and and even a lot of times like the color or the distinctive elements of the habit do come through the founder right like that makes sense and sometimes it can even be a bit of a mystical grace and i know with the dominicans i i think you know had heard that that it was sort of like through um a vision of our lady that you know it was seen about like this is how this part will be or these different things but for us our founder is Father James Flanagan. He was a, a diocesan priest out of the Archdiocese of Boston, but he's the oldest of six kids. He um, went to Notre Dame and was on the football team and won a couple national championships. And then he uh, was in um, the Navy during World War II. And he was actually, um, they were called frogmen, um, which is like the precursor to the Navy SEALs. So oh, they would do like wow. underwater demolition in, in the Pacific front and a tough, tough guy, you know, but very close to our blessed mother. I think, I think she kind of softened him in, in many ways as he was sort of like discerning the foundations of the community. He was in seminary actually when the inspiration came. And so of course, as a good, as a good Bishop would do, uh, the Cardinal Archbishop, you know, said, well, why don't you be, get ordained a priest? be a priest for five years. And if this is from the Lord, like it will still be there. And then um, I'll, I'll release you to found the community, which is, which is what happened. And so even just, you know, the blessing of obedience through the foundation, but 
sometime during that time, uh, he was traveling because his family is Irish. And so he was in Ireland and he went to a tweed factory and noticed as the tweed was being made that there was a lot of gray that went into it um, and other colors as well, but but a significant amount of gray. But then when it came out of the, the loom or, or what have you, um, you couldn't really see the gray. It was like sort of like if there was a lot of blue, you know, the blue would come out or the red. And, and so he asked the, the people at the factory and they said, yeah, we always put in a lot of gray because um, it sort of fades to the background and lets the other colors come forth and, and kind of um, serves in that way. And so I think from that point on, he was he was definitely thinking of gray as um, the color of, for our community, uh, that as we are the last, the lowest and the least, and as we're serving in areas of deepest apostolic need and on the peripheries, that um, that's really the disposition of our heart, like our Blessed Mother, um, to, to uh, see and love um, others and, and the gifts in them and try to draw them forth. And so we've gone on quite a journey, even though we knew it was gray. Combine the the numerous, numerous shades of gray with the fact that we're a missionary community and really kind of like um, from the beginning have gone out to, you know, our first uh, foreign mission was in Belize, Central America. We were we moved to the, the Asia Pacific region, the Philippines, Thailand, even Papua New Guinea um, pretty early on. And so sort of how it came about was that we would just, um, you know, get fabric where we were, that was where it was. And so there was mm -hmm. kind of like a, a, of course, like a habit design, but you get there and, and you can see where you're in, you're in a, I mean, a tribal country like Papua New Guinea, and it is really hot. And, um, and so like, let's just shorten the sleeves a little bit. And, you know, it got approved over there, but this, this sleeve gets shortened a bit. And then, um, well, we're just going to get fabric from this place because it's, it's less expensive and we can do that, but it happens to be a really light color shade of gray. And then this one mm. is darker. So we ended up with sort of this gray rainbow um, as we like to call it. And we, we all have very many stories about, um, you know, being at certain places and people not even recognizing that we're from the same community. Oh, wow. um, part of, um, you know, your, your vocation as, uh, as a religious is that you belong to this community, that this community mm -hmm. is, is your family. And we came to see more and more that this desire for unity. At our last general chapter five years ago, which is like the highest governing body of a community. Um, so you have your, your general superior, like your mother superior, um, but then the chapter comes together every so often, usually five or six years. Um, and that's actually like the highest governing body. And we discerned that we wanted to try to move towards greater unity. And so again, we, we looked for certain marks. We wanted, yeah, again, to be, to be unified, for it to be modest and becoming, um, for it to sort of continue to look like the Salt Sisters habit. So one of our sisters, she and I were talking, we're like, we love mantles so much. That's like that little one that just kind of like goes. Oh, um, yes. Like the Sisters of Life or the Dominicans have it. Um, uh -huh. And we're like, we love it so much. We're like, but it's not really us. As we were formulating um, sort of how this could come together and be unified, we had to take those things into consideration. Ended up um, at our most recent chapter in July, um, approving a habit design that would hopefully serve the purpose of yeah, being in line with our tradition, modest and becoming simple, poor, but also would work in all of the missions. So um I'm thinking particularly of the Philippines, we serve on a lot of these like remote island missions. And so the sisters are always getting in and out of boats. And so we don't want that to be dangerous for them and, you know, just different things like that. And so, yeah, that all, that all kind of went into it. And most of the time now when people see the new habit, they really can't tell the difference, you know? So I think mm. we did, we did it right. You know, everyone's the same color and it's, it's all a bit more unified that way. And 
but some of the elements that have always kind of been a part of it is um, we've we always carry the rosary, but we carry it in our pocket um, for a couple of reasons. One, kind of like that that hiddenness um, of Our Lady that is is uh, a sign of that. But then also just practically, like we have had sisters that have caught it as they're getting out of the boat, or just different things that have happened that have been kind of uh, a little bit dangerous. Uh, and so we we have our our rosary in our pocket, the symbol of the Trinity. Um, over our heart, our patroness is Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, and the that actually is, was a devotion that came from France. And um, if you see like a statue or an image of her, she has the Trinity, um, the indwelling presence of the Trinity. You can kind of see, and then she is um, in adoration of of uh, our Lord of the Most Blessed Trinity. Um, and so it's it's meant to be a sign to ourselves of the indwelling, and then to others of um how the trinity comes to dwell in us and in, in our baptism and so, so that's actually and have oh, two yeah. questions for you mm-hmm. so just we're backing up a little just a little bit but uh, the chapter sure. meeting is so it sounded like it was very discussion based like you were able to like have a voice in it was the, the group mm-hmm. like the whole group present able to kind mm-hmm. of give their input how did how did that work were there like representatives from each right like area or region or yeah. something how, how did that work general chapters are incredible sort of what it reminds me of in a very small way is like when they talk about a papal conclave where you're like the holy spirit overshadows and like and is so present but at the same time people are so people and they're so themselves and they're so you know what I mean like yes but somehow God works in the midst of that for us and um, I think it's similar for a lot of communities we have a general ca- chapter every five years we elect delegates to go okay. um, and so we have two different regions we have an American region and an Asia Pacific region so the American region would be would have Belize Guatemala Mexico um, and the United States and then the Asia Pacific has uh, the countries over there and so each uh, elects delegates and the number is sort of in concordant with the overall numbers. And that's all in our oh, constitutions of like this many get elected based on a percentage of, you know, da, 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 da. Um, and then there's ex officio members that are like the regional superiors and the, you know, so there's a lot of that goes into that. So when we uh, met this, this summer in July, uh, there were 22 of us. So eight delegates from each region. And then with the ex officio members, there were 22 of us. And it really was incredible. Like, the amount of like, like honesty and life experience um, that was like shared, but at the same time, like this great unity that rose to the surface. And sometimes I was, I was so amazed at how you sort of thought like going into a discussion on a particular topic, like, oh, it probably will go this way, but then it went a different way. And, but we all got to the end. We're like, yes, that is the right, (laughs) the right conclusion. It was incredible. The habit was, was part of that discussion. That's really beautiful. I was just wondering, because as you were mentioning it, I was, I was having difficult time picturing what that could look like. So anyway, Mm -hmm. I had had to ask about that. You you mentioned the importance and the Trinity being right there, the emblem right there in the center. It made me think of something that I don't know if I was reading about it, but I've recently been thinking a lot about how Mary is um, the personification of the glory be prayer. She glorifies the father, son, and spirit in um, particular ways with each person of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. She's like a beloved daughter and handmaiden and then mother, and she's the spouse of the Holy Spirit. So she has these specific roles with each member of the Trinity. I guess I want to know your relationship as a community and maybe even just like for you, your relationship with Mary and the Trinity, how that's a part of your charism, a, mm-hmm. a part of the way that you minister or, or the way that you pray as a community. Maybe is there anything um, that's mm-hmm. particular to that relationship and just kind of 
fostering that kind of Marian spirituality? Yeah, it's so beautiful to me when I hear sort of like our spirituality, because we we say we have a Marian Trinitarian spirituality, but when I hear it summed up and kind of like put in um, the own words of someone else, I just think it's so beautiful. We were in, I got to go to Italy um, to be on pilgrimage with some Notre Dame students this past summer and someone came up to me and had a picture he's he's from Italy never been anywhere outside and he had a picture of our lady most holy trinity and was talking about how how much that spirituality has helped him and I was just like okay and he's like I I found you on Instagram I know you exist and it was just interesting but yeah our charism um we kind of break it up into three parts that we have a Marian trinitarian spirituality we're disciples of Jesus through Mary so we make our consecration um to Jesus through Mary according to Saint Louis de Montfort but then we also serve on ecclesial family teams uh in areas of deepest apostolic need so that that missionary thrust and so really like it flowing from this spirituality yes our ladies relationship with each person of the trinity that there are particular qualities or characteristics that humanly we understand like you know like uh you and i are our daughters like that is that is part of our identity um and so then how does that what does that look like to to know ourselves as daughter of the father well we look to our blessed mother um because she she not only models it for us but she also like helps us um to come into deeper relationship of course her relationship with jesus is is spectacularly unique, you know, um, that she was the mother of God. She is the mother of God, but also she was his first disciple. She looked to him and she, you know, he was everything in all of her for her to like walk that pilgrimage of faith and to follow him. So much time could be spent at the foot of the cross of just like asking our blessed mother, like, show me like, what was in your heart? How did you, how did you, how did you do that? You know? And, and what was that, um, mystery that's unfolding there. And then in relation to the Holy spirit, you know, sometimes um, it's called spouse, even uh, St. John Paul II called her that, or temple, that there is this, um, in a sense, like fruitfulness that comes about through that that relationship that um, St. Louis, Louis de Montfort says that the more that the Holy Spirit finds um, Our Lady in a soul, the more that he uh, can form Jesus uh, in that soul. And so certainly um, th- that spirituality forms us. We attempt in a particular way to give that information. So our postulancy is dedicated to the father, our novitiate, our two-year novitiate is dedicated to Jesus. And then the time of temporary vows for five years is dedicated to the Holy Spirit. But then at the same time, like it's a mystery and the Lord is just doing it. Like, you know, like I think that's so much of for all of us is like, we do have intentionality and um, the Lord desires us to use our, our intellect and our will, but also like um, he's the one that is, is causing the growth and bringing it about. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love what you said about, uh, yeah, even in your formation process, uh, the formation is so Trinitarian. That's that's really unique. Mm. The thing I like the most that you just said was about St. Louis de Montfort's quote about the, the Marian soul being, uh, I, I guess it feels like the capacity for um, being Marian uh, mm. helps you in your relationship with Jesus mm. and mm-hmm. how the Holy Spirit is able to kind of... Um, is attracted to that, to those Marian mm-hmm. souls in, in, in order to help you, um, get to Jesus. So it definitely feels like you can feel that spousal relationship between Mary and the Holy spirit, the created and uncreated immaculate conception, right. They together as kind of spiritual parents guide you to the Lord. Um, so that was just a really mm-hmm. powerful statement. What you just said. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm really fascinated with this Marian Trinitarian. I guess I never thought about, um, that being together in a spirituality. So, um, mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very yeah, beautiful. I didn't either until I uh, <laughs> was serving in Belize with salt. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Never heard of it. So this, um, the piece that you're wearing, do y'all call it a scapular? Mm-hmm, we okay. do. Okay. Do you want to talk more about uh, the purpose of this scapular for y'all and the meaning behind it mm-hmm. or ways that it can highlight uh, your Marian Trinitarian spirituality? I think it might not necessarily be with the scapular in particular, but I would say like with the habit, um, like when we, when we kiss the scapular and put it on, um, we, we talk about how like, this is yoking us to Christ being closed with him, just as we are in our baptism that we, you know, St. Paul says, if you, if you die with Christ, um, you're also to rise with him. And so it's sort of this it's stronger than idea reality, really, um, that we do this symbolic gesture, but it, it's meant to remind us that um, every day we have to put on the mind of Christ. Also for us, yes, like the scapular, I think historically, because it had to do with kind of work and with um, uh, labor, um, we are a um, contemplative active community. And our founder would say, and that's one word, it's hyphenated, you know, that our work should flow from our prayer and that um, we should come back to prayer from from our work as well. Are some of these prayers pretty universal for other you know, communities. Um, is there like, you were mentioning the, the rule of Benedict, like, mm-hmm. are, I mean, I know a lot of people kind of look to that mm-hmm. as, as a guide. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there some sense of universality? And if, if there is like, mm-hmm. what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, or what are ones that are particular to your community? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, because there is this common origin of kind of like the development of consecrated life in the church, I would probably guess that the prayers are not necessarily like this exactly the same um, because each community is going to sort of compose probably their their prayers that they pray as they um, put on parts of the habit. But there's going to be common themes because those pieces have like historical meaning mm. uh, associated with them. Um, but some that, you know, would even be common, like we wear our miraculous medal on the inside. We pray the prayer of, oh, Mary conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee, which is, you know, pretty universal in the church. And also sometimes too, there might be similarities because uh, all new religious communities are formed um, since, since the council of Trent, since um, under a previously existing community. So we we ourselves were formed um, under the daughters of wisdom, um, which is a community with the spirituality of St. Louis de Montfort. And so I think like initially some of our prayers and things like that came through them because it was a, it was a similar spirituality and were formed that way. So it's possible that there would be similarities, um, in that way as well. That's actually brings up a point that I was interested in, but when you're talking about your founder, um, it feels like it must mean that y'all are a newer community, like mm-hmm. younger in the church, right? Is that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We were pretty much babies in the church. <laughs> we were founded in 1958. Oh, wow. uh, so just before Vatican II, which I think everything uh, speaks to to sort of like the the development or the the um, unfolding of the history. But I think that helped us. We were reading the documents like our early members were as the community was being founded. That's also what was coming out. And so a lot of um, the movements in the church at that time were were sort of what helped us in those foundational years become like who we are now. A lot of the things that were really came out of the Second Vatican Council, uh, I think were probably confirmations to Father Flanagan of like, okay, yes, like this is not just some, you know, like you really are in line with like the movements of the Holy Spirit in the church at this time. Um, because 
we have uh, sisters, but we also have uh, priests and brothers and lay faithful in, in our community. And so sort of this universal call to holiness and the role of the laity in the mission of the church, um, those were things that, you know, he, he saw, but then also like were confirmed in the Second Vatican Council. Uh, likewise, even Our Lady under the titles of um you know, in relationship to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was something that is very much from kind of like the early church. In a sense, um, during the the middle part of, of church history, it was probably much more of a focus on Our Lady's relationship with, with Jesus, which rightfully so, right? Um, but in Lumen Gentium, it does speak of her in relation to all the persons of the Trinity. And so, yeah, I would imagine you're reading that, and that's been the inspiration that you received, that you'd be like, okay, <laughs> like, that's a consolation. And then also communion is is very central to our, you know, the communion of the Most Holy Trinity um, is very central to our spirituality. And that was sort of this guiding principle. Um, Pope Benedict talked about how communion is is the sort of like the the lens through which we need to look at um, renewal in the church. Mm. And so, yeah, just so many things um, that the positioning of our founding really obviously was very uh, influential on 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 the founding of the community. So a couple things are highlighted for me here and what you just said that um, that there's a sense of spiritual heritage, first of all, that mm-hmm. um, I've been thinking about for like the last couple of years about spiritual DNA, right? In the way that we look like our biological family, there's there are ways in the church that we look like our spiritual family, right? So you're saying um, you can trace back some of the newer communities from a community, the Daughters of Wisdom, you said, mm-hmm. your, mm-hmm. um, yeah kind of there's a spiritual heritage mm-hmm. that you can trace. And I think that's mm-hmm. really interesting to it and something I never thought about, like when new communities are founded, if you almost think about it in an academic sense, like uh, most mm-hmm. of academia is like researching literature that's already existing mm-hmm. and building mm-hmm. upon it. Right. So in the spiritual sense, right, there's, there are movements in the church that are kind of, um, you know, I get, I get this kind of musical image with it that it's like they they mm-hmm. um, they have harmonies with one another. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. so it's like or like an athletic one. It's like you're passing the baton in a sense. And so like mm-hmm. not that new things aren't happening, that they are happening, um, but it can be traced through this line of spiritual heritage. So that's a really beautiful image of religious life that I had never, mm-hmm. ever thought about. I love that point. And um I've heard so many stories of communities that were founded, influenced by other communities. So um, I know for us, one example would be an archbishop from Africa would ask their sis, these, this new community of sisters that was being founded to be formed under us. And so then oh, when, wow. and it, it was a long, long process. And so then now within the last few years, they have, they have, you know, kind of like established their own community, but they still wear gray oh. um, as, you know, kind of like the little homage or um, the sisters of Mary, mother of the church, uh, they um, were, were uh, set of community um, after Vatican II. And they, uh, it was an amazing story of how they discerned to come in, into full communion with the church, but the missionaries of charity were a big part of that. And so they oh, wow. have um, a blue uh, stripe on their veil oh. um, in order to, to give homage to the missionaries of charity. So just things like that, where it's like, yeah, it's just so beautiful. 
Well, and that's, that's kind of sweet too. Cause to me, it's like show it's like a visual, again, mm-hmm. this element of there's a visual element of like a spiritual reality, right? If they're adding the blue stripe, that's very iconic to the missionaries mm-hmm. of charity, but, um, there was something, um, mm-hmm. that unified that, that brought right. it together. So right. that's yeah. really and beautiful. The missionary- oh, sorry. I'm such an interrupter. No, no, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> and the missionaries of charity, it was blue for them, like for our lady. So just, yeah, like, I don't know, just like, I love that point that you're making of kind of this spiritual heritage that, um, yeah, we're not disconnected. We are all one family of our heavenly father. And so of course there's going to be signs of it, you know? And yeah, the, the, the kind of thing that I'm thinking of is whenever, you know, you hear like a really polyphonic, uh, chorus or orchestra, like sometimes the harmonies are really tight, right? So like there's sometimes a seven part mm-hmm. harmony, right? Where they, it, you would not believe that these seven notes can sound good together, um, but they do. And mm-hmm. whenever I'm kind of getting this image that when a new community is formed, it's like building that tight harmony that like just builds a fuller orchestra and a fuller sound. And it, you know, kind of gives us that foretaste of heaven that mm-hmm. um, in, in heaven, like we're all kind of you know, just glorifying God and just like mm-hmm. the beatific vision. And, um, we kind of get a, just a tiny, tiny little taste of that here on earth, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. um, through the witnesses of yeah, like the faithful. Um, mm-hmm. so that is really cool. The other thing that I was thinking of, you mentioned having like this community, having priests or did you say brothers too? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So what is there, is there uniformity, um, between those communities as well, or are those going to mm-hmm. be separate and look different? Yeah, so uh, canonically, we are two separate, um, like canonically structured societies of apostolic life. So um, you have the priests and brothers, and then obedience obviously comes through our sisters community. Uh, and then the laity are aggregated to the priests. One of our candlers has talked to us about is, is that you know, like we're so used to in the Western world, kind of like um, drawing up a document and then saying like, okay, here, like, you know, the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution and like, go live it. Whereas like in the church, it's kind of the reverse, like the Holy Spirit calls something into being. And then you look at it and you say, okay, what is that? And then you start putting like canons to it. Law follows life, as they say. Um, And so in one sense, like, is that the perfect canonical structure for us? Like, you know, we'll see, time will tell, like, as the unfolding occurs. We also have a document that is um, parallel to, I guess, what you would say, like, almost like a directory or a, a binding umbrella document that that draws us together so that it's not as if, you know, we can just say, well, you know, we're a separate sort of like structure. And so we're just going to go our separate ways when it gets tough. Um, there is like a, it's called the principles of union and communion that, that binds us and speaks about our common life uh, amongst the vocations and our, um, oh, I see. what we call ecclesial family teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but mission wise and like how you serve, um, mm-hmm. are you separate? Are you together? Are you in the same places, different places? Yeah. So we pretty much, um, if at all possible, we serve in, in the same missions. So, um, oftentimes what that'll look like, especially in the U S is, um, you know, we get, we get asked to serve in parishes in places where, you know, people may not necessarily be excited to go to. Um, and so, uh, the priests will, you know, kind of be the, the parish priests and, and live in the rectory. And then, you know, the sisters will uh, be in the convent and we'll have, um, it's not, it, oftentimes it's a lot of parish ministry. We often serve in schools, but there could be other things in the diocese that are considered a deepest need. So it's not always that we're like, you know, walking hand in hand, doing all of our apostolate together, but there is this common. So we, um, 
typically pray, like we'll, we'll definitely go to mass where, where um, our priests are. And then a lot of, most of our missions will pray like one hour of the liturgy of the hours together. So it might be, um, you know, morning prayer, day time prayer, evening prayer, something like that. Um, of course we have our own community, like within the sisters, like that's our primary community, but it really was part of our foundation that we would have all the vocations um, to show that there's no vocation that's not absolutely necessary in the mission of the church and that each vocation has is is a particular um a particular call from the father you know mm -hmm. to to live um in a in a particular way um but then also I kind of like this description one of our one of our um newly professed brothers talked about how you know missionaries you sort of think of like oh this one heroic missionary or this you know uh, small band of, of brothers that go out and, and, you know, today's the North American martyrs that, you mm -hmm. know, like it's, uh, you know, this, this, the Jesuits, but uh, the way he described it is that's, that's beautiful. That's amazing. But a lot of people now won't ever come to the church. Like, like they are as far away. They want to be as far away from the church as possible. But when we serve in teams of all the vocations, it's like the church going to them, mm. um, like the church in miniature. And so, yeah, that was just, that's just part of our um, charism and, and uh, what we were founded for. Yeah. That's beautiful. I like the image of miniature. You said the church mm. in miniature meeting the people where they're at. Right. Yeah. Is there anything else about uh, your charism that you want to share? And mm. maybe even, I don't know if there's anything else you want to reference in, in what you wear and how that you know, mm -hmm. symbolizes that or, or kind of, mm -hmm. uh, gives a visual element to the spiritual reality. So we talked a little bit about the Marian Trinitarian spirituality. We talked a little bit about like serving on ecclesial family teams with all the vocation. And then the last part is we serve in areas of deepest apostolic need. The apostolic has to do with, um, like the successors of the apostles, the bishops. So when a uh, bishop invites us into his diocese, we, that's our first point of contact of like, where do you see the deepest need? Or maybe like, where can you, where is nobody serving that you need? people to yeah. serve. Um, and so it's not so much like what we do, but it's sort of like where and how I would say. I um, and I think that's a little bit reflected in the habit in that at, at our chapter, we approved um, what we call the universal habit. It's in the details, right? Like, so it's the, the hem is four inches from the floor and it goes to the wrist and it's made of this fabric. But then we also have um, approved for those outside the US because in the US, we, we have a lot of comfort of like air conditioning and things like that. But outside of the US, any of our missions there can also wear a mission habit, which is just like a little bit shorter. So it's seven inches from, from the ground, the hem. And then we had a whole discussion about how to, <laughs> measure it to be a little shorter and it's a slightly different fabric um just to allow for that so um even though we try to take the conditions that our sisters will be serving in as much as we could into the discernment um there still was was just a little bit of you know this is this is going to be um something that those that are serving in in kind of like the far missions with it and not as many conveniences um to just really take that into account as well it's like there's a spiritual reality. Okay. So here's the, the universal thing that you're saying, but also there's like, like you're saying mm -hmm. these like warmer climates and different conditions and, and mm -hmm. working with them too. So I think my, my last question for you is again, this is for national vocation week. What would you say to someone, any words of encouragement, maybe mm -hmm. uh, for someone discerning um, maybe even someone, especially who's uh, feeling drawn to like missionary life. I think also too, that like, we're all called to be missionaries. So, um, mm -hmm. I think there's something that all of us can learn, even if we're not discerning a religious vocation or a form of mm -hmm. consecrated life, what would you say to the church and to young mm -hmm. people, especially mm -hmm. listening? Yeah, I would say again, with our theme of like the spiritual and the practical, I probably have like one for each. Um, so the spiritual, I, uh, I went to school with, um, 
uh, Sarah Swafford. Uh, and she tells a story. It's kind of like a, a uh, focus lore a fellowship of Catholic University students lore where like she went to the priest and the priest was like you know Sarah you need to like run towards Jesus and when you get to him look out of the corner of your eye and see who's running with you um, I know for myself when I graduated college like I had no idea that I was gonna be called to be a sister like no it was not even on my radar I did want to go down and serve in in Belize and I'm not even gonna say that my motives were all yes like I wanted to be all in I wanted to be a missionary but there was a lot of you know like maybe I'll meet someone there and um I don't really want to get this regular jobs that seem kind of boring here you know what I mean so like the Lord uh loves us more than we love ourselves and he knows us and he um he is the one who can bring about uh, his his gorgeous plan um, through through you just like living your life and and desiring to be loved more and more by Jesus and to love him in return. And so I think sometimes, yeah, we can get a little bit stressed of like missing it. And I'm in some ways I'm kind of like, I I'm not you'll know if you're saying no, but I'm not sure that you can miss it because I think like he he's the one that brings it about, you know. Um, and so really just like seeking Jesus, um, especially through the sacraments and adoration, I would say. And then maybe on a practical level, um, if, if there is kind of this, like, I would love to do mission work, I would love to, um, yeah, kind of like have my whole life be about this one thing. Um, there are a lot of uh, opportunities for that, like even more so than when I was, you know, kind of like coming out of, of university. Um, and so I, like, I know for our community, we sev a lot of our missions uh, invite young people in to to serve with us. And I know other communities do that as well. So I would say, yeah, just like look for those opportunities because no matter what you're called to, I just don't think there's not really anyone that I wouldn't recommend that kind of experience to, especially right after, you know, like either right after high school, right after college, because like you're never going to be as free to do it as mm -hmm. you are then, you know. Um, so I would say, you know, if if you feel a bit of a nudge, like look into it. Love it. Love it. Real practical. I like the practical, the spiritual. It's, <laughs> it's very, uh, yeah, holistic. Is there anything else that you want to add? Thank you for what you're doing. You know, like it's, it's a labor of love. I loved how you said at the beginning, kind of this, every, every community, but I would say like every person is kind of like a facet of like the diamond who is Christ, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, just like, thanks for, for shining in your way um, oh. and doing what you're doing. So. Well, thank you, sister. Can you close in a prayer for um, us and for the listeners? Sure. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise, and we honor and adore you, and we love you. We thank you especially for the gift of your son, Jesus, and for uh, your love poured out for us um, in his total uh, abandonment to love on the cross. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And just ask in Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit would come upon each one um, listening and, and upon the whole church to um, drive out anything that is not from you and to fill us to utter fullness with your divine life and love. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and through um, the intercession of our mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, pray for, pray us. for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, sister. I appreciate you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Krista. This is fun.
we 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 persevered <laughs> <laughs> against all odds we That's recorded right. this <laughs> yeah.